getting the message is important, isn't it? Getting, getting the message, hearing well, listening well is important, isn't it? Um, some of you will have had a message you had to receive already this morning. Uh, if you were driving in a car this morning, probably you happened upon an amber and a red light. Uh, when those lights came up, that was important. That was an important message you received. You need to stop the car. Um, if you're in a swimming pool and the whistle blows, um, normally something's going on. Normally they're whistling at me uh, for mucking about too much. But uh, when the whistle blows, that's important. You need to stop. Safety is, uh, is important. Or how about this? You go for a walk on a golf course and you hear someone say, four. Uh, that's important. You notice that, isn't it? Uh, there, there's, there's danger. It's important that you get a message, even if you don't want to. Even if it's not convenient, it wasn't convenient that the light turned red. It was still important, still mattered, didn't it? It's important that you get a message, even if it's not convenient, even if it's not comfortable, even if you don't want it, even if you don't want it to be true. Getting the message is important. It may be the most important thing in all of life, whether we want to hear the message or not. Well, here we are then in chapter 22 of the book of 1 Kings. This is the last message in our series we've been working through this book. Uh, We've seen how it's a book that details a spiritual decline. We've seen how it's a book not so much about kings, but it's a book about the kings versus the prophets of the word of God. We see a kingdom decline, but as it does, it's not as if it hasn't had any words of warning. It has. And so we see then this morning that as we've lingered on the King Ahab at the end of this book, we see that his biggest problem wasn't his problems of moods. We saw that last time. His biggest problem wasn't his passivity. His biggest problem wasn't his anger. No, his biggest problem of all was his hearing problem. Ahab would not listen to the word of God. He would not let the message get through to him, especially if he didn't like it. Now, this is the word that comes before us today. This is the message for us today. Will we listen to God's word, whether we like it or not? Will we agree that God's word is truth and believe it and obey it? Or will we prefer to believe something else, something else that we prefer to be true? even if we know it isn't. That's going to be the challenge for us today. After all, it is so easy, isn't it? You hear God's words on so many matters. (laughs) Uh, Consider the the teaching of the Lord on wealth and generosity and so on. I'd prefer it if God said something different on that. I'd prefer it if God had no interest in my pockets. I'd prefer to believe something else was true. I prefer to believe that God just wants me to follow my desires, not interfere with my life. I know it's not right, but I prefer to believe that was true. It's so tempting, isn't it? It's so, so easy. Do you believe what God says is true, or do you prefer to believe other things? That's what's at stake. The background for us is in verses 1 to 5. Here's uh, King Ahab, king of the north, and he's having a get-together with King Jehoshaphat, of the south. And uh, they have this little meeting, and up comes a matter of foreign policy. 
Um, You might remember a few weeks ago, Ahab had let go an evil dictator. And when that happened, it happened on the condition that some cities would be returned to Israel. And one of those cities is an important city called Ramoth-Gilead. And so here's Ahab with Jehoshaphat, and he says, hey, here, how about we have an alliance and we go and get that city back? I want that city. Let's get that city back. So this is Ahab's idea. It belongs to us. Let's have it back. How about we work together? Now, Jehoshaphat is a godly king from the south. So he says, okay, yeah, sure, well, let's go for that. But don't you think we should ask the Lord first? Jehoshaphat says, look, notice verse 5, inquire first of the Lord. What a wonderful instinct. What a wonderful instinct. Let's ask what God says. Wouldn't it be awesome if us as Christians asked that question more than we currently do? What does God say? And so what comes then is uh, an episode with two disputing claims. The word of God comes from 400 prophets, and then the word of God comes from another prophet called Micaiah. And the question is, which is, which is true? Which will be believed? So first then, there's one word. There's one word and one reality. It comes to us in verses 5 to 12. One word. Uh, uh, coming, appearing to come from the Lord. So here's Ahab, and he said, I want a partnership with you, Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat says, okay, well, let's see if there's a word from the Lord on this. Um, I wonder if, for like Ahab, it was a little bit like when you were a kid. Do you remember begging your mum for a treat? And uh, maybe your mum would answer, and she'd say, okay, well, why don't you go and ask Auntie Marjorie about that? And if she said, ask Auntie Marjorie, you'd think, oh, yeah, wonderful. She's a soft touch. Brilliant. But what if she said, you better ask your dad? You think, oh, never mind. Well, here's Ahab, and he's supposed to ask the Lord. I take it that is not something to be groaning about. He's to ask the Lord. And so he comes to um, some prophets. Now, I should say at this point, um, this was right and proper for Ahab in those days to go to ask a prophet the word of the Lord. Of course, we don't need to do that today, do we? Uh, We don't need to go and ask for special messages from the Lord. Some of you will know Hebrews chapter 1 in the Bible. Uh, God spoke in various ways in the past, but in these last days, he's spoken to us in his son, the Lord Jesus. And so everything we need to know today, we find in Jesus. That's where we go for answers to our questions. But Ahab, in those days, needs to go to a prophet. So look what happens in verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together Uh, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? Now, what do you think? Here's Ahab, and he's got together 400 prophets. What do you reckon? Does that sound like a good plan, or not? 400 prophets. Do you think, uh, yeah, we need, I need the word of the Lord. I better get one, two, three, four, five, no, 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 70, no, 400. What do you reckon? Is that good? Should that put us on edge? I wonder how many people you ask when you want an opinion. Should I dye my hair? Do you ask 400 people? Do you ask three? One? Should I apply for this job? Should I do online dating? Should I move? Sometimes we ask lots of people, don't we? If we're unsure about something. But sometimes we ask lots of people so that we can get the answer we're looking for. 
so that we can get the right answer. And I think that's what King Ahab is doing here. It's one of the oldest tricks in the book, isn't it? Ask lots of people so you can find the yes men. (laughs) Oh, they said yes. And Ahab assembles 400 yes men. And sure enough, it works. The prophets say, um, go up, for the Lord will give it into, your, into the hands of the king. Go to Ramoth-Gilead, Ahab. You're going to get the city back. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Oh, doesn't feel right, does it? <laughs> Something of a warning here for us, isn't there? Sometimes we ask for advice. And we say that we're looking for wisdom, don't we? On all accounts, Ahab might have looked as if he was going for wisdom. But sometimes when we ask people's opinions, we aren't, um, we aren't sifting for wisdom so much as searching for the answer that we want, searching for confirmation. And, you know, when we come to the Bible, when we come to hear from God's word, uh, we don't come to it like that, do we? We come to find the truth, not to sift for what we want, but to land on the truth, whatever it is. Ahab didn't need to go to 400 prophets, did he? If a prophet spoke for the word of the Lord, you didn't need 400. You just need one. But he wasn't looking for the word of the Lord, was he? So he needed 400 human beings to give him the assurance. Today, friends, we need the scriptures. We don't need the the Twitter sphere. We don't need Instagram. We don't need that mate who always tells it to us the way we want it we need the scriptures here's the challenge are you attuned to yourself do you know the deceit of your own heart sometimes we ask crowds and we feel so wise but really it's rubbish because we're not looking for god's word at all And Jehoshaphat here notices this. He smells something. This smells a bit fishy. 400 400 prophets all saying yes to you, Ahab. Do you see that in verse 7? Look, Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Jehoshaphat here is doing something wise. And I think we do well to notice it. Jehoshaphat is really asking Ahab, are you sure are you sure that's God's word? God is really, through these four, 400 prophets, is this God's word? Now, it's easy to read Jehoshaphat saying that here. I think it's easy to read. It's harder to do, isn't it? We live in a culture today, don't we, where engaging with people's beliefs, questioning assertions of another person, it doesn't really feel like that's allowed, does it? When someone says, I believe the Lord is leading me, or telling me to do something, the temptation is to nod along and say, oh, how wonderful. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit hard to question someone. Especially when someone says something personal. Especially when someone invokes the name of the Lord. Who are we, we feel, to shout it down? But look at Jehoshaphat here. Look at him. Jehoshaphat in the chapter is a skeptic And yet he's the most spiritual person other than Micaiah in the whole of the chapter, right? Asking questions. Are you sure that's God's word? It didn't make Jehoshaphat less spiritual. If anything, it made him more spiritual. He has such a high view of the word of God as something that human beings can't and shouldn't manipulate 
that he asks questions. I take it that's good. I take it that that's good, that true spirituality isn't something wafty and floaty and kind of let's baptize everything that comes along. But no, true Christian spirituality is biblical. It's deeply word-based, deeply truth-based in what God's revealed. And therefore, true spirituality will ask questions. And I think that's right and proper, isn't it? Because there's a deceit here. And Jehoshaphat can smell it. And actually, Ahab himself knows it. He knows it. This is so bizarre and so ridiculous. Is there another prophet? Asked Jehoshaphat. And look what Ahab says in verse 8. There is yet one man by whom we may acquire of the Lord, Micaiah the son of Imlah, but I hate him. For he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And then the king of Israel summoned, uh, Joshua said, let not the king say so. And then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring Micaiah if we have to. Ahab himself knows what he's doing. He knows he hasn't got, he's asked 400 people, but he knows he hasn't got the word of God because he knows he's left out the one person who might possibly disagree with him. The one person who would actually speak the word of God. Some of you might be wondering here why, um, why the prophet here is this chap called Micaiah. Why isn't it Elijah? We've had lots of Elijah. We don't know, so I'm not going to try and answer your question. I'm so sorry. It's not mentioned. Maybe he's off training Elisha. We don't know. He comes back later. But Micaiah is a pretty decent chap, as we'll see. I, I, the point here, I think, is that Ahab knowingly knows what he is doing that he has been selective, that he's not listening properly, that he isn't really after God's honest, God's word, truth. He prefers a fiction. He wants to know a fiction because it's what he wants. And he's happy for people to say it's God's word. He knows it isn't, but he doesn't really care because he's getting what he wants. He's told what he wants to hear. I wonder for you, does that prod into your side? Do you realize I do that? As I consider the Bible, I look at it and say, well, no, he can't mean that. Because I don't really like that. Maybe I'll ask uh, someone on the internet about it. Do you know what I mean? Or maybe I don't even go that far. I just ask the 400 other voices in my head to declare, Ollie, no, you don't have to take that bit of the Bible seriously. Here is one word, but it's not the word of God at all, is it? One word, and it's set against one reality. It's set against a, a backdrop. The camera zooms out. Look at the backdrop. And it's so, so very impressive. Look at verses 10 to 12. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before him. What a scene. What a magnificent scene. You'd, you'd want to believe what was going on. And then look what happens. Zedekiah represents these 400 prophets, it seems. Zedekiah, the son of Chenar, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord. With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hands of the king. See the merry dance? Do you see the pantomime? Do you see the performance? 
big theatrics, horns and a drama and 400 prophets. Go on, Ahab, go for it. You'll have the victory. But it's all human fanfare. We'd had 400 prophets before in the book of Kings, hadn't we? 400 prophets of Baal. Do you remember them? I mean, at least they they did what they believed in. Right? And they worshipped Baal and they were prophets of Baal, right? Here are, at this point, what we might suppose to be prophets of Israel. And they know that they're yes men. And they lie to the king. And they declare the word of God. Isn't it awful? Isn't it awful? Here's a word set against that kind of reality. And so easy to be tricked by it all, isn't it? So easy to persuade us that what human beings say is the word of God, is the word of God. Because it's what we want to hear. Think on, then, think on this then, consider this question. Ask yourself this, am I good, do I think, Am I good at looking for and believing what I know to be true? Am I good at looking for the truth? Do you think you are? Out of 10, rate yourself. How good am I at looking for truth? Or actually, am I satisfied when I find what I always wanted to hear all along? Um, Think on the issues that tax you in your mind right now. What do you believe about relationships? Uh, What do you you believe about godliness at work? What do you think about, I don't know, good boundaries in parenting, perhaps? Uh, What do you think the Lord says on the use of your time and resources? Do you think you've heard the word of God on those matters as truth? Or have you really heard just what you wanted to hear? On these issues, do you listen for what God says and say, Lord, I want to hear it? whether I like it or not? Are you asking people, but you only ask the right people? Are you looking online, but only with those people who agree with you? Ahab wants to go into battle, and he's heard just what he wanted to hear. There's one word and one reality. Secondly, in our passage, there's another word and another reality that comes before us in verse 13 to 28. They eventually find the prophet Micaiah, the one man who it seems will disagree. And uh, when they find him in in verse 13 and and onwards, uh, he gets briefed. Uh, The king wants to hear from you, Micaiah. But listen, all the other prophets have already spoken. So do yourself a favor and agree with the king and say, let's go into battle. Do yourself a a favor. So look, we notice verse 15, Micaiah is brought before the king and he's asked the same question. Shall we go in and fight the battle? And look at verse 15, Micaiah says, look what Micaiah, does this surprise you what Micaiah says? Verse 15, Micaiah says, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hands of the king. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. I thought thought this was the guy who disagreed. This guy usually says something mean to Ahab, doesn't he? Well, that does seem to be actually the way that Ahab takes it. Look at verse 16. The king isn't happy, is he? Look how the king replies. How many times, Micaiah, shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? 
I think Ahab knows that Micaiah is simply mimicking all the others. <laughs> He's being sarky, is, is Micaiah. Go up if you want. Micaiah's words are dripping with sarcasm and he baits Ahab as he speaks. And Ahab says, won't you tell me the real word of the Lord? Do you see it? Look, King Ahab knows he hasn't heard the word of the Lord and now he's begging for it. Ahab, tell me the real word of the Lord. It's so clear, isn't it? Everyone knew the last word was not the word of the Lord. So what is? Well, look at verse 17. And Micaiah said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. It's a prediction here of Ahab's death. Uh, In the Bible, kings are shepherds. And here is a vision of some sheep without their shepherd. Their shepherd, if he goes out to battle, will be killed. The sheep will lose their master. And like soldiers who scatter when the commander-in-chief is shot, so the sheep will scatter of Israel. See, says Ahab, he never says anything nice to me, does he? He never does. See, wasn't I justified in not asking his opinion on the word of God? Wasn't I justified? He never says anything nice to me. Was he justified? (laughs) No. I didn't like it. Wasn't I justified to ignore him the whole time? Truth must be truth, mustn't it? Whether we like it or not. Ahab seems to have forgotten that. Maybe some of us have forgotten that today. I'm justified in ignoring those bits of God's word, in reading God's word like this, because I don't like it. See, here's one word against another, and Micaiah isn't done yet, is he? There was a scene of human fanfare of 400 prophets. We'll now see the true scene. Look at verse 19. Here's true reality. Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. This is verse 19. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. And all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, says Micaiah. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you, Ahab. Here's true reality. Here's true reality. The Lord declares, here's a bunch of liars. Those prophets are a bunch of liars. But they are liars in his pay to bring about his judgment. What an amazing message, though. Ahab (laughs) is having these folk lie to him to bring judgment upon him. And yet, God says, let me just tell you what's going on. God says, let me warn you about what's going on. Isn't that remarkable? We've seen in these last few chapters the amount of second chances Ahab gets. Let's call this the 500 millionth chance. Because he gets another chance even at the end of the book. The Lord says, these prophets are tricking you. This is reality. It's not too late to reject it all. 
And yet, as we'll see, Ahab still doesn't believe. You know, it's possible to have the truth. Ahab has had one word that was a nonsense. He has now had another word from God that is the truth. It is possible to have the truth and yet still reject it. Zedekiah, leader of the 400 prophets, stands up and says, how can this guy speak for God when I was a minute ago? This, this can't be right. Throw my, let's throw my car into prison. And Ahab commands that it's so. Micaiah says, we'll see who's right in the end. And off they go into battle. Two words. Two words. Which would you believe? Which would you believe? One, a group of yes men. Another, a real prophet. One, a word that appeals. Another, that doesn't. Which would you believe? In your day by day, which do you go for? I'll tell you what Ahab does. And this is our third and final point. Because I think it is what we do. He says, I'll have it both ways, please. (laughs) I'll have both. He can't, can he? King Ahab says in his head, oh, I'd like to believe that I can have that precious city back. I'd like to believe that. But also, I don't really want to believe that I'm going to die if I go to battle. I can't dismiss it either. So I'm going to kind of believe both, says Ahab. I'll go into battle, because I do want the city, but I'll go in disguise. Uh, Now, if you remember One Kings, you know at this point, disguises don't work. Uh, We we know that. Uh, We know this is totally stupid. And we know it logically, don't we? If the 400 prophets are right, that Ahab can take the city, then he can just go into battle. It doesn't really matter, does it? He should just go go and take the city if they're right. But if Micaiah is right in speaking the word of the Lord, well, then Ahab shouldn't go into battle at all, should he? It doesn't matter if he wears a disguise. He should not go. But Ahab says, I'll believe both. I'll go, but I'll go in disguise, as if somehow... I can have a little insurance policy. I can kind of get what I want and I can kind of fudge God's word and it'll go my way in the end. Well, he shouldn't have done it, should he? He shouldn't have said, I can have it both ways. Uh, It doesn't work, does it? With his foolish plan, Ahab goes into battle. And the Syrians, actually, it turns out, have a plan. They're after King Ahab. So... um, They're targeting him, and they chase after a guy who looks like a king. And then they realize it's Jehoshaphat. And they're about to give up when one of the soldiers said, I'll fire an arrow at random. So a random arrow gets fired. And where should it land? But directly in between the armor of Ahab's clothing, despite his disguise. And everyone flees, just like terrified sheep. And Ahab bleeds out, the blood flowing in the cart as he's carried away. The dogs lick up his blood, verse 37 and verse 38. The prostitutes wash in his blood, um, as was foretold, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken, verse 38. Do you see? He should have believed the word of the Lord, but he preferred to believe the word of his mates. He thought he could have it both ways. But we can't. Friends, we trick ourselves, don't we? We do trick ourselves, don't we, to 
to believe that God says what I want him to say. Whether it's what the Bible teaches about money, sex, career, family, relationships, identity, image. And many of us, I, I think, we, we know what God says on these matters as, as Christians. But we also know what we prefer. And so we think, I'll try and believe both. Here then is a warning. You can't have it both ways. True repentance, true singular trust in God lies in listening to God's word alone. Not those other words. Not those other people. Ahab didn't. He couldn't listen to God alone. And in the end, it was his biggest problem. And friends, it might be our biggest problem. If you are trying to have it both ways this morning, it shows that you, me, we have got a problem like Ahab. The word of God simply isn't getting through to us. I think it would be odd if some of us weren't a little bit frightened, actually, about that this morning. And maybe some of us need that. Maybe we need to be woken up. Because the truth is we've deceived ourselves. And what we need is reminding that we need to have such a love of truth, of God's truth, that we're saved from our self-deception. We need reminding that we need to love what's true. No matter if it hurts. No matter if it's hard here and now. So that we can be saved from deception and have real life. Because otherwise, what are we doing? Well, we're believing lies, aren't we? We're going after our desires and our idols and we're prostituting ourselves. That's the Bible's imagery of what we're, we're doing and our future then, in the end, is a bit like the ending of this book. The book ends, I don't know whether you noticed that, with two summary kings. Uh, one king in Israel, one king in Judah. Uh, the story of Judah, as the book ends, is Jehoshaphat is king. He's a good king, but we've seen him get closer to Israel. We're worried about him, really, I think, at the end of the book. What's going to happen in Judah? And it also ends with a summary of Ahab's son, Ahaziah. And we're told that he did what was evil, and there's judgment coming for him. It's a worrying conclusion to this book. And no surprises. Because Ahab had the warning, and he didn't listen, did he? So death is on the way, exile is on the way for Israel and Judah. If they cannot hear the word of God. So today's passage brings with it stark warnings. Maybe today you've been convicted of that. Oh, that's me. I always go for what I prefer to be true. Maybe today you think, I am in a, actually, I'm in a bad way, actually. <laughs> Would you see then, friends, that it was good, wasn't it, that we had this warning today? This chapter could have been good for Ahab if only he'd listened, Right? But he didn't. It is good news that we've had this warning. And it is good news for us, actually, if we have fallen for the ways of Ahab. If we have prostituted ourselves, as he did, believing in idols, living for other truths, and not listening to God's word. There is good news for us here on that score as well. As we close, I want to take you to one little detail in this passage. To remind ourselves of hope for those who have disbelieved God's word. 
look um, for a moment. There's a strange detail, isn't there, as Ahab dies? A strange detail. Let me find it. Ahab killed in battle. Verse 38. When Ahab died, they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up his blood, and the prostitutes washed themselves in it, according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. That's a pretty terrible episode in our, in our chapter. And everyone thought it was awful. The king had died. But it wasn't bad for everyone. The prostitutes actually thought it was quite good. They used the opportunity to have a wash. Now, quite why they did, (laughs) we're not told. But it seems that they believe that washing in the blood of a king can make you clean, can give you another chance. I don't suppose it did the prostitutes much good to wash in Ahab's blood, being something of a spiritual prostitute himself. But the Bible tells of another king who would come, who said, my blood is the blood of a new covenant, who would die in justice, but not justice that was of his making. He would die and his blood would flow for others. And the Bible says that if you wash in his blood, you can be made clean. No matter how much you've disbelieved him, no matter how much you have spurned him, no matter how much you have preferred what you want over what he wants. There's a lovely moment in Revelation chapter 7. There's some people in some white robes and some elders ask John, hey, who are those people? And John says, you know. And they say, actually, yeah, we do. Those are those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. As we finish then, know this. That no matter where you have been, no matter how much you've rejected God's word in the past, a king has died. He has shed his blood for you. There is a second chance. There is the word of a greater covenant, of a new covenant. A king has died whose death in our place can bring life, even for faithless prostitutes such as us. The death of King Ahab represented a failure. It represented judgment. The death of King Jesus represents an opportunity to find life in him. Pray that we would do that. Pray that we would take his word most seriously indeed. Long to live it out, even when we don't like it. Knowing that he is the God who brings life. Should we pray? Our Father in heaven, we uh, thank you for this passage today. And Father, just ask for each of us that you take us to one place, uh, one scripture, one area of our own lives where it, where it really is in doubt whether we are believing your word. Father, we want to confess our failure. And our sin in this area, we are sorry for how we've rejected your word. 
But Father, we thank you that you've woken us up today with words of life. Give us, as it were, new ears today. Help us to hear what you say, and most of all, to radically obey. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.